Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest questions, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. When have you felt like you've been on cloud nine? Well, today's guest is a serial founder, two-time author, leadership coach, entrepreneur, and speaker who has been sharing stories of hundreds of incredible people from around the world, including founders, former NFL players, highly sought after speakers, coaches, and authors, and even 90-year-old grandmothers describing moments of true euphoria and how they lived their lives on cloud nine. Being said to give hope in a time of darkness in their professional career, He has also been coaching high performers on behavioral leadership change at Google, Amazon, and various startup companies around the nation. Yet this self-proclaimed potential light didn't start out his journey piloting his home plane to success. Following the traditional path encouraged by his peers and family, he went on to become a Northwestern and Kellogg School management graduate, going after corporate jobs, taking experienced positions in large banks like Merrill Lynch to small startup companies like Chowbless, and finding himself comfortable and unfulfilled. Feeling the itch to create something that added value to other people's lives, he built multiple startups, including an Alzheimer's awareness organization called They Forget, We Remember, which would lead a nationwide effort and donate all the proceeds to a world-class Alzheimer's disease center, and a food startup called Feed My Mates, which would see considerable growth and scale to five team members over a few months. After deciding it was time to do what he truly wanted in life, In November 2017, he quit his corporate job and self-published his first best-selling book, which eight-time best-selling author and top 500 Amazon reviewer states, carries some heavy content that we can leverage what we learn in this book to get big results in a short amount of time. And this 24-year-old millennial entrepreneur gets some big results. Achieving a personal challenge to do 90 podcasts in 90 days, he's been sharing his story of corporate refugee turned trailblazer for positive change on hundreds of entrepreneurial podcasts, spoken on stages for TEDx and conferences around the country. As the best-selling author of Get Comfy, Your Morning uh, Guide to Daily Happiness, is in the top 1% of members for the Next Gen Community Council, and is the top contributing writer on LinkedIn and Medium with thousands of followers with his inspirational writing that guides people in overwhelming, overcoming uncertainty and discovering what is truly brings them meaning and fulfillment. I'm honored to welcome coach and founder of Cloud9 Living, best-selling author of Get Comfy, and a man who used to do jumping jacks in the shower as a kid, Jordan Gross. <laughs> wow, Brandon, you are going to have to send me that because that is the finest intro I have ever received. Um, thank you so much for digging into my my past and doing your research and sharing uh, a lot of little tidbits that I didn't even remember some of those things. So uh, thank you so much. And I'm so, so excited to be a part of Evolve here and uh, share my story. And also, I love asking questions too. So maybe I can get some of your story out to the listeners as well. Absolutely, Jordan. Well, let's dive a little bit into yours. Um, when I was researching you, there seemed to be a deep sense of service to help other, you know, better other people's lives and using entrepreneurship to do that. 
And one of your first attempts at this was actually a 9-11 memorial lemonade stand um, where you wanted to give the money to families who were impacted by 9-11. So I was wondering if you could share how that kind of began for you. Yeah. So that's when I was seven years old was my first realization that I had this itch to help other people. And I had this desire to start things and grow things and build things and base them off of a mission, right? I was always mission driven, even back when I was seven years old. So it was like you said, right after 9-11. And I noticed that the people around me, my my teachers, my parents, my f- parents' friends, um, mainly adults, because the kids my age were too young to really realize what happened. I realized that people were just a little bit off. They were a little bit sad. So I tried to understand why. And I would get the stories about how um, devastating 9-11 was to families in our neighborhood because I'm from New York. So I knew people who, unfortunately, uh, their lives periled in that tra- that tragedy. Um, so anyway, I kind of, I was always a happy kid growing up and I wanted to give as many smiles as possible. So I decided that I wanted to make a lemonade stand, but whereas most kids wanted to make a lemonade stand and just ooh and ah at their shiny nickels and quarters at the end of the day, the way that I thought I could make other people smile was by taking all the, the money that I got from the lemonade stand and donating it to people whose families were impacted by 9-11 within my area and in the New York area. So I set up shop. I remember it was on the corner of, uh, I think it was Trescott and Straight Path with a couple of buddies. And on a, on a Saturday, we just got out there and we, we put, you know, we put lemonade out there and we had cookies and cake and candy and people would just walk by and grab some lemonade and, it was, it was a great day, but uh, the, the key theme there is that I, I don't know what it was. I, I mainly attribute it to my parents and my friends' parents and my coaches and my teachers, but ever since I was a little kid, I always had this, this urge to just make other people happy, to give back, to really make an imprint that was much larger than myself. Um, so that's where it all began. That's the first uh, entrepreneurial venture that I ever had, and it was it was the standard lemonade stand story, but it wasn't the standard result in that it was just that I had this desire to make money and build businesses. It was more that I had the desire to do things that were in service of other people. Mm, yeah. And at some point you kind of started listening to everyone else following that traditional path of going to college and you yeah. know, getting a job afterward, but you still had this bug of entrepreneurship in you, yeah. whether it was doing your own startups or whatnot. So tell me about how your own mindset was being created during this period. Yeah, absolutely. So after that experience as a seven-year-old, I, I sort of shifted uh, <laughs> I, unknowingly. But from ages like seven to 17, I was just going through the motions, right? And I was, I, I tried to be as, as all around of a person as I could have been. So I, uh, I was an athlete and I got good grades and I tried to be interested in music. I was in the band, right? I tried to have all these different interests. Um, but I think it was really just to look good on paper, right? My, my thoughts for how I was supposed to live my life was, get good grades, go to a good college, get a good job, live a good life. That's what 
life was to me at the time. I didn't even think about purpose and meaning and passion and helping other people, right? So that's what I did for a little while. And I I followed my plan to suit and I was graduated in the top of my class. And I went on to Northwestern University in Chicago. And when I got there, it was much the same. It was who can I follow that's living a seemingly successful life. And I, I successful in quotes because I didn't even de- define my own version of success at that point. Um, so successful to me looked like a big house and a lot of money. And who were the people <laughs> who were, who had that? It was investment bankers, consultants, right? So that's what I did when I was in college. My, my freshman year, I, I had a sales internship. And then my sophomore year, I did a uh, finance internship. And then my junior year, I did a consulting internship. Um, but like you said, there was always this thought in the back of my mind, like, go back to that kid who made the lemonade stand, like build something, grow something. And to be quite honest with you, it wasn't until I got back from my study abroad in Prague, my junior year of college, that I started to have a little bit of a mindset shift. And that mindset, it wasn't like I had any, you know, like epiphanies or transformative experiences. I always say that my aha moment looking back is the realization that I didn't need an aha moment to make this Mm -hmm. change. Um, But after I got back from abroad and and drinking and just not being a really high functioning member of society, I decided that I needed to be a better, be a better person. I needed to, to give back. I needed to do things that made me happy. So I started listening to personal development. I started listening to podcasts. I started reading books, listening to audio books. Uh, reading articles. And that's when I realized all of this amazing stuff. And, and, and I realized this world of following your dreams and living according to who you want to be and, and nobody else, right? So it was my junior year that I created that Alzheimer's awareness organization, which was really like my second um, effort at this uh, entrepreneurial thing. And uh, They Forget we, rem- we Remember was sort of like the springboard that led me into following my heart as opposed to following other people and the advice that they were giving me and just taking it blindly. Mm, yeah. And in uh, November, 2017, you quit your corporate job um, and returned to this idea of adding value to others without expecting anything in return. That's right. uh, you you wrote your, your first book, Getting Comfy. So right. what was it about this moment that made you take that leap? Yeah. So Basically, this this time of my life is extremely important because you 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 started this interview with what is your cloud nine moment, right? And for me, one of I, I've had many. I try to have one every single day, and there's different magnitudes to cloud nine moments, right? Um, but for me, one of my transformative cloud nine experiences was when I quit that corporate job, and the story goes that I was, I was working in the restaurant industry. I was doing this rotational program. I was in a management position for a, a restaurant group called Hillstone. And I was coming off of like an 11 hour day. Plus I had to do the managerial duties at the end of the day. So it was like my 14th hour there. It was four o'clock in the morning. And I had just walked into the meat freezer to count meat. And uh, I'm in my suit and tie and I'm wearing gloves and I just, you know, sorted through all this, this ground beef. And I go <laughs> to the office to put some numbers into a spreadsheet 
And I realized that I had locked myself out. Mm. I locked myself out of the office door. I, there was no way to get back in. But the good thing was that I was there at 4 a.m. People already started coming for the next day at 5 a.m. So right. it wasn't that long. Like I would have gotten in eventually. But uh, anyway, as I'm sitting there locked out, just like at first, like fully head in my hands, like, what am I going to do? My boss is going to kill me. I'm going to get fired. Um, after a couple moments of panic, I just kind of started to laugh. And the reason being was that I, I just took a step like to the side, right? I took a step outside and, and, you know, in this theme of the journey to cloud nine, it's like, I put myself in the clouds and I looked down at what was going on. I looked down at my situation. I just said like, I am so freaked out about not going into this office to type in our meat inventory and <laughs> complaints about their signature cocktail, not being like up to snuff. Like, well, what's going on here, right? Is this what I'm really supposed to be doing in the world? Um, and the answer was no, it, it absolutely was, it absolutely was not. So the next day I talked to my parents and despite, you know, uh, an effort to reconsider and have the stability of a big salary and, and have the prestige of being a leader at age 23, uh, I quit. And that quitting was the most freeing, liberating, electrifying feeling that I've ever experienced. And that's why it was my cloud nine moment. It was sort of this, this resurgence that I can do anything now. Um, I, mm -hmm. wasn't, I wasn't tied down to this particular position anymore. And there was so much opportunity out there in front of me. So with that, I wanted to figure out what was next. And uh, I had been listening, like I said, to all these personal development podcasts and reading these books. And I had a bunch of notes. And these notes were paragraphs that I had written that were my own thoughts, my own reflections, my own ideas. And what I did over the next month or two was turn those ideas into my first book. And like you said, that first book was Getting Comfy, Your Morning Guide to Daily Happiness. And it was adherent to my core value, which is adding value to others without expecting anything in return. I think my, my first goal when I wrote that book, I think I wrote somewhere, have one stranger reach out to me because they read this book. And I think at this point, it's been downloaded like over 20,000 times and yeah. reached out to all the time. I've coached people on it. I've given a TED talk about it. So that's what happens when you just fully do things in the service of other people, trying to add value, trying to consider others, trying to collaborate, as opposed to just focusing on what am I going to get out of it, right? So it was no mm -hmm. longer that thought of how do I build my own life that is representative of other people and, and these beautiful houses that they live in. No, it was how do I live my life that's going to make me the most fulfilled? And that Getting Comfy book was really my first true endeavor where I was aware that that's what I was setting out to do. Mm. And now you're on to writing your second book, Journey to Cloud Nine, which uh, got a chance to read some of the chapters of. Yeah. Um, and there's behind it, there's this idea of controlling your life, becoming the person you want to be, and not really being the passenger to your own life. Um, and I see that in the book, I see it in your story. And so how do you help guide people to realize these things for themselves? Wow, that's a very, very loaded question. Because <laughs> that's everything, right? The, the mission that we're on, my purpose is to be a trailblazer. It's, it's to trailblaze for myself. 
and it's to trailblaze for other people. And what I'm trying to do is allow people to think differently and clear their minds of all the clutter so that they can make decisions based on their intuition and their heart and their gut, as opposed to societal expectations and the people around them. So Mm -hmm. that's what the journey to cloud nine is all about. It's actually a fictional piece where I juxtapose the protagonist's life and I show that in his real life, he didn't necessarily live on cloud nine because he made decisions that were based off of what he didn't necessarily want to do. But in his cloud life, he gets to relive those experiences and see what his life could have looked like had he made decisions that were more in tune with his own true journey. Mm-hmm. So that's how the book comes to be. And then I've, I've interviewed hundreds of people. So although the book is fiction, I took a nonfiction approach and I've interviewed hundreds of people in an effort to understand how they live their cloud nine lives, right? So there's, there's sort of two separate buckets, right? And I noticed that there are these momentous life occasions that we have throughout our lives in which we feel like we're on cloud nine. And then there are also these, um, these overarching principles that allow us to feel like we're on cloud nine. So Mm -hmm. that's how the book goes. And each chapter is a different occasion and it, it coincides with a different principle. And, uh, by following these principles, by trying to live your life according to these moments, you're able to embark on your own journey to cloud nine. Mm. Doing this uh, requires us to step outside the norm and separate from you know the ideal of the pack. How do we get over that fear of doing this and help them realize that they need to lead and live their own life? So that's always one thing that really, uh, that's sort of how I live my life, right? And two things here. One is that the opening quote of the book, The Journey to Cloud Nine, is from Ed Milet. And he said it on Rachel Hollis's podcast once. And he basically, it's the notion that um, the definition of hell is that on your last day on this earth, the person who you became will meet the person that you could have become. And those two people are total strangers. Mm. But the definition of heaven, where we all want to be, is that on your last day on this earth, the person who you became will meet the person who you could have become. And those two people are identical twins. Mm. So when you think about that, what I think about is the fear of the what if, right? And I never allow the fear of the what if to overcome the fear of the what. And what I mean by that is when I have an idea, when I have something that I want to do, I never want to look three years in the future and say, what if I would have just done this three years prior, right? So I always get started. I always take micro steps in building a business, writing a book, going and doing a talk, right? Reaching out and being on a podcast. Um, I never let that fear of what, what's going to happen outweigh the fear of, okay, this is actually happening and let me figure it out as I go. So I'm a, I'm a figure it out as I go kind of person. Yeah, absolutely. I see that a lot in your story. Um, one of the interesting things I seen in the character in the story, uh, Jerry is this introduction of a mysterious co-pilot character who kind of acts as a mentor and guide for Jerry. And I know mentorship has been pretty pivotal to you in your journey. So how does our circle of influence mentors change our view of our cloud nine moments? Well, this is a hugely important topic for me. 
because in writing the journey to cloud nine as a work of fiction, what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to really do with this piece is tell the reader that personal development is called personal development for a reason, right? And traditional self-help is great. It's amazing. And, and for people who don't necessarily know the path that they're supposed to take, using this advice is, is super helpful. But what I believe is that even if you have a co-pilot in your life, even if you have a mentor, you're not going to benefit in the best way unless you make the decisions, unless you act as the pilot and ultimately listen and hear the advice but then implement into your own life in the way that fits who you personally are. So that's the goal. That's the reason why the journey to cloud nine is not just a traditional self-help book. It's why it's an allegory. Um, but to, to go back to your question more specifically, uh, mentorship in my life has been huge and it's come in three main categories, family. So mom and dad, um, friends and, and role models, like more of the traditional mentor sense, and then books and podcasts and, and influential thought leaders, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I want to just make sure that I, I touch on here is to always understand where advice is coming from. So one of my favorite examples of this is when I was quitting my corporate job, like right before that cloud nine moment I had. My dad is an attorney. And he's had, he's been a partner at his law firm pretty much since he got out of law school because his dad started it. And when he was 25 years old until now he's 60, for 35 years, he's had this very stable life, this stable job. There was no uncertainty. There was no, um, there was no real sense of, okay, I'll figure this out as I go. He, that's how he lived his life, right? So when I went to quit my job and I wasn't going to have a salary and I wasn't going to have a sense of stability. He actually wanted me to reconsider. And he was trying to, uh, give his advice based off of his own experiences. And I had to realize that, right? Because people are going to give advice based off of their own experiences as much as they, they tell you. And as much as they want to put themselves in your shoes, they either want you to experience what they experience or they don't want you to go through what they had to experience if it was negative. Right. So that's the, uh, that's the thing about mentorship. It's that you listen, you listen, you listen, you consider, you consider, you consider, but ultimately you need to realize where the advice is coming from and then make the decision that's most aligned with your intuition. That's uh, really the, the main message that I'm constantly trying to convey, even as a coach myself, I never try to tell my coaches what to do. Even if they beg me, I'll, I'll tell them, but still with the caveat that they have to make the decision for themselves. Right. And even if this one time they're going to do what I say, at least be reflective enough to realize, was it the right decision the next time? Or, or can I make this decision on my own the next time? Uh, what advice do you usually give um, early stage startup founders who are trying to continuously forge this path for themselves every day? Wow. Um, a lot of different things. My advice is always very much adherent to the situation and adherent to the person. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I'd say that my, my main message all the time is, oh, I'll give a different one. Uh, something that I always 
try to tell people who are doing serious things and they are trying to accomplish so much and they have these big lofty audacious and 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 hairy goals and dreams right even myself i have huge ambitions and aspirations um the f in my morning routine and getting comfy comfy is an acronym the f stands for funny and every single morning i make sure that i smile or i laugh Mm-hmm. And the message that I always try to provide for anybody who I'm talking to, startup founders, um, just students, um, people who are just trying to get a little more confidence, is that no matter how serious our lives get, no matter how serious everything seems, we do serious things. Um, the way in which we will appropriately respond to these events as opposed to impulsively react to these events is by not taking ourselves too seriously. So my very simple advice is to find those cloud nine moments. It's to understand that every single day we have pockets of hope, glimmers of, of happiness to look forward to and uh, these little moments to reflect upon. So that's, that's always what I try to convey. It's this very lighthearted message. Mm, yeah. And it seems like in your work, um, you're always trying to, and evoke an emotion that really sparks change for people. And you can see that in cloud nine. So uh, you try and do this through the power of storytelling, whether it's telling your story or the ones that you're writing or the ones that you're sharing. Um, So what do you think the power of these stories are? Yeah. Wow. Um, Again, this is everything to me. So I'll, I'll share an anecdote. Something that I'm working on right now came from a very fortuitous occasion in which the other day or two weeks ago now, I walked out of my local Starbucks after getting a really way too high priced of a, a hot tea because it's getting cold here in New York. And right before I walked in, there was a homeless man outside of the Starbucks who I'd never seen before. And I always go by this corner. And he gave a really warm good morning. I said, okay, that's really nice. And I walked in to get my tea. And I made sure I paid in cash so that I could get some change when I walked out. So I walked out and I gave him my change and he told me to have a blessed day. And I walked across the street and I don't know what came over me, but I turned around in the middle of the street and after dodging a car and almost getting hit, I, I turned back to the homeless man and I walked up to him and I said, Hey man, can, can you tell me the happiest part of your day? And at first he looked at me and he just kind of said like, you know what, man, I haven't had a happy day in a long time. And that was devastating. It crushed me. So I asked him what his name was. His name is Kevin. And uh, I said, Kevin, if you can really think about when you were happiest last, what did that feel like? Well, what was that day? And he said, you know what, man, it's when I get to help other people. It's when I get to be myself. It's when people don't judge me. Right. So when we look at happiness at its core, I think it's those three main principles. It's just like a side note. But anyway, back to the story is that I kept talking to Kevin. I'm still talking to Kevin for the last two weeks. We've seen each other every single morning. And by some stroke of magic, it turns out that for the last two years of his life, while he's been on the streets, Kevin has been writing a fictional novel. Oh, wow. Shows. I think that's the essence of what storytelling can do, right? Because what this book is doing for Kevin, in my eyes, is two things. And there's so much more, but two main things. 
Number one is that it provides a sense of escape. And the stories that Kevin is able to tell reveal a, they reveal an escape from his daily norm of living on the streets, right? He has something to just get completely outside of himself every single day and go and do and sit and write. That's, that's number one. Number two is that it provides a sense of hope. It's Kevin's dream. It's, it's his cloud nine in the future, right? Because as much as his situation doesn't seem like it right now, because Kevin has this one thing, because he has this story, he has an opportunity to envision his life as if it were the one that he truly wanted to be living, right? So that's mm-hmm. where hope comes in. So those are the two key ingredients of, of storytelling um, that I've really picked up over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, for me, what storytelling has been able to do is, is a lot of what I, I mentioned to you before. It's, uh, it allows not only myself, but readers to interpret and then implement as opposed to just receive the advice and implement aimlessly. That interpretation through storytelling is so key as opposed to just hearing the lesson in and of itself. Mm. What about these stories that we are telling ourselves about ourselves? So when you were younger, you know, you were a little chubby, wore glasses, had yeah. the last name gross. Yeah. Um, and that was your story, but you yeah. changed that. And so how, how did you change that story for yourself? Yeah. So that's, that's actually, uh, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's my, that was the root of my TED talk. Um, but anyway, I think now it's something that I've created also pretty recently in the last couple of months. And it's, the whole theme of why I'm writing fiction now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's called using your imaginativitation, right? So imaginativitation is this four-step process. And I mentioned two of them, already, but the other two are pretty obvious. Um, but I'll, I'll do it in the way of a story. And the story is that when I was growing up, just like you said, I had a quadfecta of negative characteristics. So there's like a trifecta in horse racing where you could bet on the three best horses. I had the four worst uh, characteristics growing up, four very negative traits in my eyes. Um, I had long hair and kids would constantly pick on me and call me a girl. I was overweight, so I would always get the uh, heavy jokes. Um, I was cross-eyed, so I wore these big funny glasses, so people called me a nerd. And, uh, my last name is gross, like you said. So before people even saw me or knew who the heck I was, they were already saying ew. So not so great. And it could have been a really debilitating situation for a kid, but, uh, instead I decided to use my imaginativitation. And my first step was using my imagination to envision what my ideal dream life would look like, even having all of these characteristics, right? So that was, that was number one. Number two was creativity. That's the second part of imaginativitation. So how was I going to creatively design this life so that I can live out my dream? That's step number two. Step number three is interpretation. What does that look like for me? How do I go ahead and do this? And then that's the implementation piece. How do I live out this life according to my plan? So what I did with these four characteristics was I took full ownership of them. 
right? And I imagine this life where they were actually characteristics that were beneficial to me. And then I lived it out. So what happened was with my, uh, my glasses, right? People called me a nerd. So I said, you know what? Who are the best nerds I know? They're the, they're the smart people, the CEOs, the billionaires, right? So I became incredibly studious. And like I mentioned before, I finished at the top of my high school class and I went on to Northwestern, a great, a great college. Um, with the, the heavy jokes, right? I said, who are the people who have great lives and, and are big and strong and, and, and fast and all these things. And I thought about athletes, right? Mm-hmm. So I became a, a really good soccer goalie. Um, I ended up being the top soccer goalie in New York State. Um, and I use that to my, I use my size to my advantage. Um, what's next with my last name, right? I got picked on people laughed at me. So I said, okay, who, who laughs, who laughs a lot comedians, right? And they're funny. So I became one of the funny guys laughing with people at my last name, as opposed to them laughing at me. And, you know, we're, we're on video here so you can see me, but I I don't have the long hair anymore. So (laughs) that last one isn't uh, applicable here. But, you know, man, it, it was it was just this this thought that, OK, I can envision, I can dream, I can come up with a life that is actually uh, taking all these negatives. And because of the story that I'm going to tell myself, um, these negatives are going to be attributes. They're going to be mm. uh, positive attributes that I can use to my advantage. And, and that's what I did. Um, one of the things you touched on was being a athlete, being a soccer athlete. And uh, in your morning routine, one of the pillars is movement. Yeah. So what has exercise and getting in tune with your body done for your mindset? Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Um, honestly, it's like the most important, important part of the day. I try to move in the way of walking, running, um, lifting weights every single day. Um, and I'll, I'll share two things here. Number one is that, like you said, it's for my mindset. It's not for the physical looking good or, or anything like that. It's, it's totally to turn on my brain. Um, because mm-hmm. Exercise, there's so much research out there, but it just, it's a sense of accomplishment. It's a sense of doing something that you'd never think that you could do. Um, and it's a sense of just, just really getting moving and bringing that energy, right? Because I, I believe that energy is everything. Um, so that's really what it's all about. And then the second thing with exercise is that when I do something, when I am learning about something, right, I never just want to keep it for myself. So if I enjoy something so much, I want to teach it as well. That's what I believe is, is mastering a certain skill is when you can teach it to others. So Mm -hmm. movement has become so important to me in my transition and my, in my transformation in my life that not only do I practice it every day, but I teach it to others every day. So three years ago I got certified in the national Academy of sports medicine and I became a personal trainer. And now I start my day right after my own workout. I work out other people and I do <laughs> personal training from 6am until about 8.30am every single morning. And it's my, my way to give other people a gift of movement, just like I've, I was able to receive myself. Mm. Uh, one thing I want to touch on that I was seeing in your story um, was around your mom. And you talked about mentorship earlier. What were some of the lessons you learned from your mom who's battled with uh, multiple sclerosis for a long time? Yeah. Um, again, 
I so much appreciate uh, bringing this up and really taking a deep dive into my life and, and these things, Brandon, it really means a lot. Um, my mom has been a sense of positivity for me, a sense of perspective, a sense of every single day matters, a sense of every single step matters, right? So multiple sclerosis, for those of you who don't know, is a disease of the central nervous system. And in layman's terms, because I'm not a science guy, um, my mom doesn't walk very well. Her energy is off. Sometimes she can be in a bad mood. Um, I don't know if that's just because she's a mom or because of the MS. <laughs> uh, she, you know, um, she, she gets, uh, she gets down or, you know, it, it's a very difficult disease and there's no real cure. Uh, treatment is sort of negligible. It's just maintenance. Um, not get worse and she's doing great. So that's, that's the most important thing I'll say. But anyway, what I've learned from my mom is that lesson that every single step counts. That is what matters most. And we didn't even touch on it yet, but you know, it's the one key piece of self-help that I can't stress enough. It's gratitude. Mm -hmm. So my mom literally works her hardest to take one more step to walk in, go clean up the dog's pee, to walk and step outside and drive her car, to step out of bed and get up in the morning, right? Every single step is a challenge. So for me to live my life in good health, having that good fortune makes me so appreciative and so grateful of this silver platter I've been handed, right? Mm. Because I my situation can change just like my mom's did on January 1st, 2004. I think it was 15 years ago. Yeah. She was to me, she was fine before that. And to me, she was fine after that, but it, it wasn't so. So, you know, it's uh, it might be cliche, but it can change in an instant and it can change in an instant for, for the negative, but you know, it could also change in an instant for the positive. Right. So just remember that, um, to take each moment as it is and understand that you need to be present and here and grateful for everything that you're doing now because the future is, is unexpected and you need to live in the present because you never know what's going to happen next. I, I see this, uh, this theme of gratitude show up pretty strongly as well in the cloud nine movement. And how have you seen um, gratitude for the moments that people have showing up in their stories? Yeah. So like I said before to you, there are certain moments in the Cloud9 saga that are pivotal life events. These are your weddings. These are your um, proposals. These are your having a child. They're your career accomplishment, right? But there are also Cloud9 moments that people have experienced throughout a typical day. So one, one story that comes to mind is, is a guy, his name's Charlie. Charlie told me a story about how he was a corporate, corporate guy for a long time. Made a lot of money, did a lot of ruthless business activities. Um, and he actually spent a couple of months training or being with monks. I forgot, maybe in Utah or something. And uh, one morning he went out to do a form of meditation. And he had... For, for a couple of, of weeks before that, he had been 
helping out some of the hummingbirds when they were babies who were nearby. He'd, he'd been helping them, um, like get something where he was helping them, right? Helping baby hummingbirds. And a couple of weeks later, he's doing his morning meditation and he sees these hummingbirds sort of darting at him. But these hummingbirds, he thought they were going to like attack or something. <laughs> they just sort of stopped and they flew around him and they flew near him almost as if to say thank you that they realized that he was a big part of their lives. So when he finished his meditation and he realized the experience that just happened, he had this cloud nine euphoria in which he was so grateful for being in that present moment for experiencing something that nobody else got to experience right then and there, that it was, it was this unmatched feeling of true joy. And that was mm. about a moment for that day. And it's because he truly appreciated what he had right then and right there. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. On one of the interviews uh, that I heard of yours, you had to have a startup idea of cloud nine pillows, kind of <laughs> like a buy one, get one model of Tom's shoes. You're awesome, man. You really did your, your digging. I, I so much appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you see for your future in, in terms of business, in terms of this cloud nine movement? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you straight up. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, I have a five-year plan. I've got this year's plan, three-year plan. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you it all. So this year I'm 25 right now. So mm -hmm. when I'm 25 years old, I want to focus on the book. My goal, mm -hmm. I'm one of those people who, when I tell people that I write books, they say, so how do you make money? You're obviously not selling <laughs> the book. So my goal is to sell 25,000 copies of the journey to cloud nine when I'm 25 years old. So mm -hmm. that's age 25. And then when I'm 26, I want to keep selling the book. I want to do a little bit more speaking, maybe go around and speak about it. I want to start a cloud nine nonprofit. So that nonprofit is one of two things. One is going to be either doing what I'm doing with the homeless man who I talked to you about, Kevin, where I'm actually helping him self-publish his book, um, creating his own cloud nine journey through writing fiction and, uh, that's awesome. book. So that's one idea. And that this is sort of like my pilot is helping Kevin. And then the other yeah. one would be to, um, help people with their storytelling, um, by helping underprivileged, uh, high school students, write better personal statements for their college essays to get into college. Mm -hmm. So having the, the cloud nine methodology of storytelling in order to create a cloud nine moment of getting into a college. So that's, that's age 26. That's like the goal is to do something like that. Um, age 27 is to keep doing this, but also uh, beginning the idea for the cloud nine pillows, which I would launch at age 28. And the idea for the cloud nine pillows is not only to just make the, the comfiest in my first book's terms pillow that you can possibly find, but also something that I do is I put my goals and my dreams, uh, somewhere that I can see every morning when I wake up and every night before I go to bed, I learned this from Jeff Hoffman, who's the founder of priceline.com. He says to put your wildest dreams in your bathroom mirror because you're brushing your teeth before bed and right when you wake up. Um, so I, my mind always works like where else, like, what can I do? That's different. Where can I put these dreams? Uh, I want to put these dreams on pillows because a pillow is something you see right before you go to bed. And it's something you see right when you wake up. 
So I want to put people's cloud nine moments, their cloud nine aspirations, their literal life dreams on pillowcases so that they can see exactly what they are wishing for in their lives every single morning and every single night. And to add to that, um, there's an opportunity to bring wellness into this, not only with positive psychology and aspirations and dreams and things like that, but um, sleep itself. Mm -hmm. It's a huge topic right now. Sleep is one of the most important things aside from exercise and diet that leads to overall well-being. So what I want to do is, is sort of create like a smart pillow in which the pillow can track the quality of your sleep. So having these combinations um, will lead to the benign pillow. And then last but not least, what, what's really driving me, like the underlying theme of this entire pillow company, which comes full circle back to the lemonade stand and why I want to give the money to the people um, who are affected by 9-11 is because I want to sell pillows because I want to do like a Tom's Shoes model, like you said, in which for every two pillows sold, let's say, I'm able to slide a pillow underneath somebody's head who is currently sleeping on the streets because I mm. see that far too often in New York City. And right now I, I just feel helpless that I can't do anything to for them. Um, so, you know, like I said in the beginning, I don't know why that's who I am, but that's just something that has always been within me. My dad used to joke growing up that he, he didn't like taking me into New York City because every homeless person who he saw, I would want to give them some sort of money if they were asking. <laughs> so he said that he would always have an empty wallet when he came home, uh, when we came home from the city. So it's always been with me. Um, and again, I, I just attribute it to my upbringing and having good values. Mm. Yeah. I think um, with this mission that you're on and going back to the quote that you brought up earlier by um, Ed Milet, uh, who is this Jordan Gross that you're trying to become and hope to meet on your last day on earth? I think it's who I am right now and just a continuation of everything that I want to achieve. Um, because that's that thought is so cemented in my mind. It's almost like every single decision I make, I am trying to live according to that person who I know I can become. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's why I'm on cloud nine pretty much all the time. It's because I'm on this journey of what cloud nine means to me and living according to it every single day. Um, so that's, yeah. Of all the, the interviews that you've done, um, and the, you stated earlier about being scared by regret more than by doing the hard thing. Yeah. How do you look back at life or looking back over life and how do you view death? Wow. It's a great question. One of my favorite books is Tuesdays with Maury. Mitch Albom is my favorite writer. And for those who don't know in the book, Mitch Albom, it's, it's a great story, but it's true. Mitch Albom goes to one of his college professor's house houses, uh, house, uh, Maury Schwartz and Maury is on his deathbed and Mitch goes there every Tuesday to learn life lessons. And those life lessons are being taught through the perspective of death. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're, they're pretty, they're pretty obvious love and family and giving to others and all of these things that allow you to live a good life from somebody who is currently on their deathbed. Um, but if you ask me how I view death, I would say 
it's by not fearing it. And it's by coming back to that mindset of what my mom does every single day, what it instills in me every single day. It's that each and every moment I need to live like death is inevitable and it can come as randomly as, as possible. So that's why I'm trying to just be as present as I can and enjoy every single step of the journey, enjoy every single moment. Um, and as morbid as it sounds, you know, like I do think about that death could come at any time. So why would I want to not enjoy what I have now if it could all be over in an instant? Where can uh, people find more about you and the new book coming out and everything about you? Yeah. So I don't like to give too many options here for uh, choice paralysis, but journey to cloud9.com is where you can find almost everything. So the book's on there. More about me and my personal journey is on there, how, how journey to cloud9 came to be. Um, you can get free downloads on there, free chapters on there, which I also sent over to Brandon. So hopefully he'll share that with you guys. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can follow just Jordan Gross on LinkedIn and I'm also active on Medium. It's Jordan Gross on Medium where I write articles and things like that. Um, but the number one thing I will say is that human connection is everything to me. Um, I'm reaching out like my main marketing tool, like whereas everybody else is doing Facebook ads and big time campaigns, like my primary marketing tool is having 100 100 new conversations a day on LinkedIn. So talking to people is my greatest strength. And that's how I'm going to use my greatest strength for my marketing of my book is by talking to people. So please reach out and talk to me. Um, I always want to chat. I always want to see how I can help. And hopefully, you know, the book will be helpful in your life and allowing you to use your imaginativitation to take that book sort of insert yourself into Jerry, into the co-pilot, into Jamie, into the different characters you'll see throughout the book, um, and then make the necessary adjustments in your own life. Love that, Jordan. Uh, our last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? Yeah. How can we push the world to evolve? This may come as a surprise. Just kidding. It's not to at all. But I'm going to say something really simple here. And I can't stop thinking about it because maybe it's because of recency bias, because it's, it's a new event in my life. But I think that we can push the world to evolve by doing the simple things that are often overlooked. And what I mean by that is a very simple thing that I did recently was walk up to Kevin and ask him a question. And I think too often we don't do that. Too often we don't go up to the cashier and say, hey, how is your day? We don't go up to the, the traffic crossing guard and say, hey, you're doing a great job. You know, too often we go through the motions, we're too robotic, and we don't have a conscious awareness of all the amazing people and the humans that are around us. So in order for this world to evolve, I truly believe it's by doing little things that are going to connect human beings. Mm, that power of connection, just as you were just speaking about. Um, I think that's a, a great answer. And I'm so glad that you could come on the show today, Jordan, and we could have this connection and share it with our listeners. Likewise. Brandon, thank you so much. This was definitely one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And I've done over a hundred now. So this was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for being so prepared and for allowing me to share my story and uh, for being just a really good person. So I appreciate you and I hope you got some value out of it too. Hey you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app 
rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.